Today's podcast features an article from Discern Magazine. Prejudice. Why it exists and how it will end. Bigotry mars the pages of history, and it's still alive and well today. But God calls us to rise above prejudice and promises a world where it can't exist. By Jeremy Lollier. What if I told you that every form of social injustice could be solved by answering a single question? You'd probably think I'm crazy and oversimplifying, and understandably so. The world is filled with injustices, many of which are deep and complex, with roots stretching back hundreds or even thousands of years. It seems impossible that a single question could untangle and solve all those issues in one fell swoop. But I believe it could. Racism. Sexism nationalism, bigotry in all its shapes and forms, every last scrap of prejudice in the world, it could all be ancient history if we all agreed and acted on the answer to one short question. What determines our worth? It's not exactly a new question. Philosophers and average laymen have been trying to sort it out for ages, and everyone seems to have his or her own answer. For some people, the answer is money, possessions, stuff. The more we have, the better we are. And right there, we can see the start of a prejudice. I have more than you, which makes me better than you. Or, on the other end of the spectrum, I have less than this person, which makes me less than this person. But money isn't the only answer that causes trouble. There are a thousand variables we could plug into that equation, and the result would be a thousand different prejudices. At best, that approach can leave us with a false sense of superiority around others. We might judge them by the clothes that they wear, the brands that they buy, the teams they cheer for, the part of town they live in, the way they talk, any number of ridiculous things. But the ugliest, most dangerous prejudices happen when we answer that question with traits people are powerless to change. Race, gender, age, country of birth— When we make those things the measure of human worth, when we start believing that others have less worth because of the color of their skin or the place they were born or some other trait, that's how we create some of the most twisted moments of history. The Nazis and the Holocaust, the Khmer Rouge and the killing fields, the Hutus and the Rwandan genocide, Sudan and Darfur. Even when prejudice is fueling something other than genocide, the resulting injustice can leave marks that take generations or even centuries to fade. Slavery in the United States didn't end until a little over a century and a half ago, and its impact through the years is unmistakable. The Three-Fifths Compromise, the Jim Crow laws, the Ku Klux Klan, police brutality, slavery is gone, but the prejudice remains. That's what bigotry does. It becomes a catalyst, an excuse, a justification for every kind of injustice. The other side deserves it, prejudice says. They're inferior. They're not as important. They're the problem. The New Testament church had to wrestle with prejudice in its early days. For centuries, the Jews and their Israelite brethren were God's chosen people, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth, Deuteronomy 7 verse 6. The Gentiles, that is, the rest of the world, never had that relationship with God. That made the Jews different from everyone else. It made them special and unique, and quite frankly, it caused tensions. As the message of the kingdom spread through the first century world, the earliest converts, who were exclusively Jewish, believed that the message only applied to their fellow Jews, whether natural-born or converts. Who else could it be for? Only the Jews had a relationship with God. Only the Jews knew his divinely ordained laws. Only the Jews worshipped him the way he was supposed to be worshipped. It took a divine and 
powerful miracle recorded for us in Acts chapter 10 before the Jews of the early church started to understand that God was expanding his people. That being Jewish wasn't a prerequisite for having a relationship with the God of all creation. It still wasn't an easy transition. The Jews and the Gentiles both had centuries worth of prejudices and misgivings to work out. There were growing pains. Even Peter, the Jewish apostle God sent to baptize the first Gentile converts, who said, God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean in Acts 10.28, who testified before the Gentiles, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, verse 34, that same Peter found himself too embarrassed to sit with Gentile church members when his Jewish brethren were around. Another Jewish apostle, Paul, had to address that publicly because the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. Galatians 2 verse 13. Their actions were so disconnected from the message Christ had sent them to preach that Paul remarked, they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. Verse 14. That gospel, that message of the coming kingdom of God is critical to finding the answer to our question. What determines our worth? Without the gospel, we can only answer that question with imperfect knowledge and flawed opinions, and our answers will only allow us to mentally sort our fellow human beings into buckets of worth more and worth less. That's not good enough. That doesn't solve the problem of prejudice. It just rearranges it. Different answers, different prejudices, same problem. There is only one real answer to our question, and that answer can only be found in the truth of the gospel message. When a group of Gentile philosophers asked Paul to elaborate on that message, he told them that God made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Acts 17 verses 26 through 27. One blood. Paul was hinting at a truth revealed in the earliest pages of the Bible, that God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1, verse 27. In the beginning, there were no Israelites and Gentiles. There was only one man and one woman living in a garden planted by God, and that woman became the mother of all living. Genesis 3, verse 20. Paul didn't say, God created one nation to be better than all the other nations, to have a superior bloodline and greater worth than anyone else. He looked back to the very beginning of human history and said, in essence, we all share the same blood. We all come from the same place. And we were all created for the same purpose, to seek God and to find him. You were created by God in the hope that one day you would search for him and find him. You were created with the potential to become his child and to live forever as part of his family. But that's not just true for you. That's true for everyone. Every man Every woman, every child, regardless of race, nation, or creed, was created with that purpose and with that potential. And that is what determines our worth. When we answer our question that way, it changes how we see everything. And that should change how we treat everyone. When every person we meet is either a child of God or a potential child of God, when we see everyone as a human being created from the same blood as us, with the same purpose as us, it doesn't leave a lot of room for prejudice. It doesn't leave a lot of room for saying, I'm better than you, or I deserve more than you. Instead, what we're left with is, you are my family, and you are my equal. If the whole world believed that and really, truly internalized it, how much would that transform, well, everything? 
On a global scale, the changes would be huge. It would mean the end of genocides and racial killings, just for starters. How could one man kill another or even treat him unfairly when he knows that they both share the same blood, the same value in the eyes of the God who created them? What about all the sexual assaults that prompted the Me Too movement? What man would dare take advantage of a woman if he understood and always remembered that God intended them both to have a place in his family? The more we zoom in, the more we can see how that one little truth could change the world. If we all understood that God created us as equals in worth and potential, would a car dealer lie to a customer in order to squeeze a little more money out of a sale? Would the media skew their reporting to grow their subscriber base? Would neighbors and families feud for years over misunderstandings and grievances? Would marketers promise the moon knowing they couldn't deliver? There wouldn't be any place for it. There wouldn't be any place for deception, hate, mistrust, theft, cheating, or murder. And in the absence of those things, and with the help of God, we might instead find a place for love, respect, kindness, trust, generosity, patience, and understanding. But that's not the world we live in. That day is coming. God promises a future when the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 11 verse 9. But until then, it's up to us to be the example. A long time ago, a prophet named Samuel learned that the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7. Paul expanded on that. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3 verses 26 through 28. Not everyone has made the commitment to be baptized and live according to God's way of life. Most of the world doesn't even understand what that way of life really is. But there are more than seven billion people covering the surface of this little blue-green planet of ours, and every single one of them is a potential future child of God. So here's what we do. It's radical. It's crazy. But it's worth a shot. We treat them like what they are. We treat every one of those people like family, like a potential child of God. Because that is what determines their worth, not the color of their skin or the arrangement of their chromosomes or the place of their birth, but the simple and irrefutable fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived a perfect life and died to pay the penalty for their sins and ours. That's not to say things like ethnicity or our gender can or should be ignored. Those traits are part of us. They play a big role in shaping who we are. They're not insignificant or meaningless, but they don't play a role in our worth or in the worth of others. It was Paul again who wrote, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Philippians 2 verses 3 through 4. Bigotry and prejudice cannot survive under the weight of the truth of the gospel. One day, all the people of the world will come to understand that truth. But until then, it's our job to show them what it looks like in action. They are worth it. Thanks for listening. For more information from today's featured article, visit lifehopeandtruth.com.